We've been blessed with some pretty good horror movies lately, 2022, and I want to do a ranking and review of Fangs and Folklore's top 10 horror movies of 2022. If you love horror like I do, then I hope that this will be helpful to you as you sort out uh, what to watch, what not to watch. Remember, it often costs money to watch movies. It costs time. And so sometimes you don't want to watch every single thing. I watch a horror movie every single night because I like to sort through them, see what's new, see what's good, uh, and, you know, kind of learn more about uh, horror. And so, um, you know, to me, there's nothing better on a chilly night than settling into the sofa, turning on a horror movie, turning off the lights, and drinking some whatever you want, tea, coffee for me, of course, wine, and then scaring the hell out of yourself. It's wonderful. Okay, welcome to Fangs and Folklore. I'm your host, Matthew Miller. I'm coming to you from the studios of Fangs and Folklore here in the basement of the abandoned castle in the middle of the haunted forest. I, uh, I'm an expert in all things monster, horror, paranormal. I am a horror writer from the depths of haunted, swampy Louisiana, and I welcome you to my terrifying world. Please check out my books on Amazon, beginning with number one, Blood Feud, A Punk Rock Vampire Story. It's number one in the Gravedigger series. It's a six-part series about a failing punk band called the Gravediggers who have no musical talent whatsoever, but who keep crossing paths with all sorts of monsters and supernatural, paranormal horror situations. It's horror comedy. It's super entertaining, and I'm sure you'll love it. So check it out for yourself. All of the all the books are available uh, in paperback, Kindle, and audiobook. All right, great. So as is our custom now, we're going to do our Fangs and Folklore wine review because wine and horror are really closely related. And no, they're not. I just happen to like wine. Tonight's wine is a 2018 Domaine du Vieux Lazare. It's a Chateauneuf du Pape. Chateauneuf du Pape, which is a special category of wine, as you probably know, if you're a wine enthusiast. And it's a Rhone, of course, uh, featuring the grapes Saint-Saul and Grenache, but with others. It's going to cost you about $35. I'll put the label up there on the screen. So $35 for someone like me is on the high end of my budget. Luckily, I was able to taste this for free. I was invited to someone's house, and they served it, and... Really enjoyable. So the grapes, Saint-Saul, Cunoise, Grenache, Mourvedre, Muscatin, Syrah, Terre Noire, and Vacarès. That's a lot of grapes for a wine. Um, here are the winemaker's notes. Pale plus dark red with clear purple rim, the nose is warm and beginning to show an attractive complexity characterized by understated red fruits and spice, along with leather and tertiary notes. The palate is composed and lighter weight, again exhibiting a measure of bottle development and an appealing mix of red cherry and spice notes. There is a fine balanced structure. This is an elegant, not heavyweight style, expressing Sasso and Grenache in particular, with the emphasis on finesse rather than power. Okay, so I've already tasted it last night, but we're going to do our little tasting anyway here in the the uh, skull goblet that I found in the abandoned castle upstairs. <clears throat> so we're going to have a sniff. All right. So, yeah, you can just tell this is a great wine. It's got, um, I see what they say. It's, it's not only dark fruit, but it has that um, uh, kind of spicy herbal kind of notes. That's because it's the very dry, sun-drenched Mediterranean zone that it's, that it's uh, grown in. And they say elegant, not heavyweight. Okay, so let's take a sip. Mm, yeah, that's nice. Oh, that's fine. So I'm going to agree, of course, with the uh, cherry and spice notes. It's kind of contrasting there, the dark fruit and the, the uh, from the kind of soil, the spice, kind of leather earthiness there. And a balanced structure. Okay, I can see that. Also, it's not heavy tannin, heavy uh, heavyweight uh, on the boldness of the flavor. It is rather refined, as they say, finesse. It's a great wine. If you want to enjoy a good wine with some uh, strongly flavored food. This is a good one to choose. So, uh, Chateauneuf du Pape. Uh, okay, let's continue. 
All right, so I've made a top 10 list of my favorite horror movies of the year. I'll start with 10, move on to one. One being the greatest one, 10 being the 10th best one. With each movie, I'll get a little, little review as well. I won't spoil it though, don't worry. Then just for fun, I'm gonna review what I think is the absolute worst horror movie of 2022. And boy, there were some real stinkers. Uh, it was hard to narrow this down to the 10 best, and there are a lot of honorable mentions that I don't have time to talk about in this episode. Um, just a quick note, I'll be showing some trailer clips for these movies, and all video clips and images in this video fall under the fair use clause of U.S. copyright law. It is permissible to use limited portions of work, including quotes, for purposes such as commentary, criticism, news reporting, scholarly reports. That's what we're doing here. And remember that false reports of copyright claims is a violation of the law. Okay, that's over. Let's get to it. We all have our own taste, our own personal taste in horror films, right? Some people like thriller, psychological horror. I like my horror to be supernatural. That's what I like. I want some kind of a supernatural element. I'm not huge on psychological horror only or just thrillers, but it's got to have something in there supernatural to really appeal to me, uh, with some exception. I just wanted you to know that up front so you can understand. You might find my list a little unusual because it's not just the top blockbuster horror. There's maybe a couple of uh, films that you have not heard of, and I'm not going to spoil any of the films. Let's get to it. Number 10, Satan's Slaves 2, Communion, which in, um, in uh, Indonesian is called Pengabdi Setan 2, Communion. Written and directed by Joko Anwar, starring Tara Basro as the main girl, Rini. Now, uh, she's a great actress. You're going to see her in several other Indonesian films, including horror. This is obviously a sequel to the very good Satan's Slaves. So the premise here, in 1984, Rini and her, her uh, siblings, Tony and Bondi, a boy and a girl, and their father live in this small apartment. There's a, a flood coming and a tsunami, and it's, it turns off the power, and everyone's kind of trying to survive. Mutilated and dug up bodies are discovered, both uh, around, around the area, suspiciously arranged in like a cult-like manner. <clears throat> and there is indeed evidence of a satanic cult, which is right up my alley, uh, for a movie. The kids discover their family heritage, and it's a heritage that has much to do with things that are happening around, with cults and Satan worship and so forth. And I won't spoil it and, and tell you any more than that. The good. For each of these, I'm going to do the good, the bad, and overall. So the good, very atmospheric. I love movies about satanic cults, and this is a really good one. It has some genuinely frightening and disturbing scenes. Even one great gore scene, a real classic that combines like suspense with good old-fashioned blood. You'll know what I mean if you watch a movie. I won't tell you about it. The plot is complex enough to keep you very invested in the film, for sure. The characters are good. The acting's very good. There's even a little love interest to keep you kind of watching, and a good guy versus bullies, uh, underdog versus bullies element as well. Plenty of supernatural, enough for me for sure. The Bad, like many Indonesian horror films, the plot tends to meander a little bit and include a bit 
too many elements and characters so that, you know, uh, by the end you might end up a little confused if you haven't paid careful attention. That tends to be uh, Indonesian and Malaysian horror films tend to be like that. Mm. Also, like many Indonesian horror films, they probably could have cut 10 minutes of it and it would have been just perfect. Not that it's super long, it's just they try to cram a lot into one film. Uh, overall, it's a great entry. It's a solid Indonesian horror film. It touches all the right elements to give you a great and atmospheric scare. Recommended. Number nine is a horror comedy, Studio 666, directed by B.J. McDonald and starring the Foo Fighters. That's right, Dave Grohl, Taylor Hawkins, who, rest in peace, died recently. Uh, Rami Jaffe, Nate Mendel, Chris Shiflett, and the good old Pat Smear, the old school punk rocker hero of mine from the classic punk band The Germs. He's in there. It's horror comedy, like I said, which I love because I write horror comedy books. I think it's a great combination. Foo Fighters, you gotta get me a record. It's our 10th album. We gotta break the mold on this one. Let's go somewhere we've never been. This place is amazing. Do you guys get this overwhelming sense of death? premise is that the Foo Fighters have writer's block. They haven't had a song or an album in a long time. Their manager's on their case, and you got to make a new album. you got to do it. So they rent this big, scary mansion to kind of get away from it all, to have some time to themselves to write this album. And Dave Grohl becomes fascinated with the house itself as a source of inspiration. Uh, one of their tech uh, assistants is electrocuted early on, and so the band decides to dedicate the album to him. I'll just say that one of the band finds a demo tape in the basement that is may or may not be possessed, demonically possessed, and the demons move in and set up shop, and I won't spoil it more than that. The good, it's great to see these great musicians do uh, horror. It's, it's genuinely, genuinely funny in, in many places, and has some tongue-in-cheek horror scenes, and they may not be genuinely terrifying, but they're solid horror, and even though you know it's horror comedy, it's fun, and they're well done, very satisfying. Even some great gore for you gore fans out there. The nosy neighbor lady adds a comic element, and there's even a little plot twist at the end that is a little bit surprising uh, to kind of satisfy the, satisfy the character arcs and the plot arcs. The bad, not much bad here. Uh, parts are, of course, overboard and ridiculous because it is horror comedy, such as one thing the band discovers a new musical note never before discovered or played. But that's horror comedy. It's really entertaining. Like I said, Pat Smear, one of my music heroes and... He's not the world's best actor, <laughs> apparently, but he's fun, and it's great to see him in this film, and it's just really a great time. Dave Grohl does a really great job and is a good actor. Uh, overall, it's a super entertaining film, enough horror to satisfy horror lovers, and enough fun and comedy to really make it enjoyable. Super amusing and entertaining to watch. Don't expect to be maybe truly frightened, but watch it for sure. It's really good. Number eight. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the 2022 one, not the original 1974, I think. Uh, directed by David Blue Garcia, starring Elsie Fisher, Sarah Yarkin, Mo Dunford, Mark Burnham, and others. It's not a remake of the original 1974 film, which I've said before, the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre is one of my top favorite horror films of all time, top three, the purest horror movie ever made because there's no jump music, no jump scare music. You just hear the thuds, right? So, Harlow is a ghost town. We have a vision for this place. All it needs is young blood. I don't want to live here. This is a chance for people to start fresh somewhere. 
somewhere safe. Hey guys, you should see this. What are you doing in our house? We really shouldn't be here. So this is kind of one in a series of imagined sequels in the same universe. So it's 50 years after the Leatherface's first killing spree, the first movie. Uh, Melody and Dante, who are these uh, young entrepreneurs, and Melody's sister Leela and Dante's girlfriend Ruth, they've bought this kind of ghost town, the Texas town of Harlow. They bought it as a ghost town, and they're going to basically create a real a new kind of gentrified adventure for rich people, okay? Make it like a little gentrified area. And the little town square is, you know, is charming, but it's old and dilapidated. And while they're there, they learn that there is actually an old woman still living in one of the houses there. It's a ghost town, but she's living there. And they want her out of there. She has papers proving that she owns it. She has a right to live there, but they won't take it. They have investors coming, and the investors are driving up, so they, they say, you need to get out of there. And uh, they get into an argument with her, yelling at her. And, and then you find out there's someone else in the house, too. The old woman collapses. Her name is Jenny, and she goes to the hospital and dies. And basically, um, it goes on from there. Like the entire Texas Chainsaw Massacre film series, it's not supernatural, but that's okay. It's basically a vengeance slasher, which can be really good. Because of the high regard I hold the films in, the Texas Chainsaw uh, films, I really enjoyed this one. I do like vengeance horror films. Pumpkinhead is one of my favorite ones. The way the old lady is treated by the young punk investors really makes you genuinely, genuinely feel sorry for her, and you can, you can have fun kind of cheering for the villain in this movie, cheering for Leatherface. All right, the good. Interesting plot. You get invested in the villain. It's not just, you know, the, the, the basic, you know, uh, killer walks around killing people the whole, for an hour and 90 minutes. There's actually a plot here. You get invested in the villain and his motives, you see. You get a motive for Leatherface more than any other uh, Texas Chainsaw movie. There's some great gore. A great setting, this old ghost town that one holdout still lives in, a weird situation. I love that Leather, Leatherface has a motive in this film. He's not just a psychopath, but there's more to it. There's also some modern touches that are kind of funny, like when Leatherface starts, everyone's filming him with their phones, saying, you better watch out, You're gonna, I'm going to put you online and cancel you. <laughs> and that was funny. There's even a self-driving Tesla at the end with a great gore scene. The writing on this one, I think, is better than many in the TCM universe. The Bad. This one was controversial. Some people did not like it, precisely because it ventured into motives and character development and art and had a more complex plot than just, you know, a, a killing spree. Uh, some people don't like that. They say, all right, I want my pure Texas Chainsaw horror, and this is too much. Fine. Fair enough. I can understand it. I don't agree with it. Overall, I think it's a really good film that's worth a watch. Series, you know, series evolve over time. They have to, or else it's just a repeat of the same thing over and over, and they get boring. Uh, if you love Leatherface like I do, he's my favorite slasher, period. Uh, Art the Clown is working on it, working on me, but I think Leatherface still. But you want a little more development in a film and, and a little more to it and a little more motive, you'll like this one. All right. Number seven, Scream from 2022. Another one in a series. Directed by Matt Bettinelli Olpin and Tyler Gillett. Starring Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, David Arquette, the original cast, and others. It's the fifth film in the Scream series. It's not called Scream 5, it's just called Scream, but it is.
So the the prince the the idea here is that 25 years after Billy Loomis and Stu Matcher's killing spree in uh, Woodsboro, there is a high school student here who's alone, and guess who shows up? Good old Ghostface. Um, and then in Modesto, Tara's estranged older sister, Sam Carpenter, is informed about the attack. So they return to Woodsboro with their friend, with their boyfriend. Basically, uh, they bring in some of the original cast because of the new attacks, right? They say, uh-oh, Ghostface is at it again. So they bring in, you know, some of the original characters. Uh, um, basically, uh, yeah, I won't spoil it too much more, but you know the series, right? It's Ghostface running around killing people. The Good. It's a good old-fashioned Scream film. If you like the series Scream, you know it's a classic whodunit mystery with slasher elements but without supernatural elements. The thing about Ghostface the Killer is that there's not just one, right? It could be anyone. It could be any people at any given time, any person, making the killer incredibly difficult to track or uh, locate or, or stop. There are lots of clever references to the first film, and even in this film, some self-aware kind of meta-awareness that's fun. Uh, there's good gore, and there's a big plot twist at the end, kind of a reveal at the end that makes it, makes it worth your while, kind of makes you think. The bad. Some people didn't like the meta, self-aware nature of the film, the breaking the fourth wall sometimes. It's tongue-in-cheek for sure, and one thing that, uh, that I can say is that this movie is made sure, uh, definitely for fans of the Scream series. It's made for fans. One thing that always annoyed me about the Scream films is that Ghostface is just a person. It's not like a, he's just a mortal, a regular human being. Get a gun and shoot him in the head. Stab him. You know, his, he can't be that hard to kill. They never seem to be able to do it. And often when they kill him, you know he's going to get up again. So double tap. Shoot him, he falls down. You know, shoot his head in. Cut his head off. Do something. Burn him. You know, he always gets back up again. That kind of irritates me. There's one scene in this film that's so frustrating for me. Oh, precisely because of that. We'll just call it the hospital scene. Overall, this entry in the Scream series was absolutely made for the diehard fans of the series. If that's you, I think you'll like it a lot like I did. If you're more lukewarm in the series, you might not appreciate the meta nature of this one so much. All right, number six, Halloween Ends. Oh boy, this was controversial. Directed by David Gordon Green, starring Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, Andy Matichak, Will Patton, Rowan Campbell, and others. The premise here is that there's a character called Corey. He's babysitting a young boy, and they, the boy plays a prank on him. There's an accident, total accident. The boy ends up falling off a banister, dies. Totally not Corey's fault, but the parents come in at that moment and think it is. Corey's put on trial for manslaughter, but he's acquitted. And then, so it's three years later, and everyone in the town thinks that Corey is a murderer, which he's not. Michael Myers, his latest killing spree is 2018, and he's kind of gone. You don't see him. Laurie Strode, the female character, is writing a memoir. And the memoir kind of follows along the plot and the theme of the film as she reads from it. She's now, she has a new house. She's living with her granddaughter, a nurse. Corey gets injured. He goes to the hospital, meets the nurse, and you can imagine, you know, they get along. And uh, I won't tell you much more than that. But Michael Myers has kind of been relegated to the edges of society. 
and seems depressed and ragged. And let's just say that Michael and Corey really hit it off. The Good. Of all the Halloween films, this one by far has the most character development, plot, theme, complexity of a really solid film. It focuses on Corey's transformation. It's not just Michael Myers walking around killing people. It focuses on Corey's transformation. And by doing so, by focusing on Corey, he's kind of like a microcosm of Michael Myers. We get to see into the psychology and motivation, uh, evolution, development of Michael Myers himself. The acting is superb. And in one scene, they play a Dead Kennedy song, Halloween. Dead Kennedy's one of my favorite bands of all time. And the lyrics absolutely fit the film. So it's a deep film. There's a lot more to it than you might expect. The Bad. Boy, a lot of people didn't like Halloween Ends, precisely because they didn't like the complexity and the depth of it. One person I talked to said this, quote, I just want to see Michael Myers going around killing people. That's Halloween, close quote. I can understand that. I can understand that sentiment. Another criticism is that Corey is the main character in the film, not Michael Myers. Michael is there for sure. Some people say that he was added as an afterthought. Not true. I disagree. Corey represents Michael in many ways, and there's a big connection there that gives you insight into Michael's psychology. Uh, I think it's great. If you want pure, unadulterated Michael Myers just going around slashing people up, then you might find this film too much. And there's something to be said for the Halloween slasher slashing people up. But if you feel that I do, that a classic horror franchise can only get better from writing characters and motives and so forth and going deeper into it, then you'll love it. I really, really like that. Number five, X. So the letter X is the name of the film. Directed by Ty West, starring Mia Goth, Jenna Ortega, who plays Wednesday in the new Hulu series, Wednesday, by the way, or Netflix, Hulu. I guess, I think it's Hulu, and it's a great series. Farmer's daughter, take one. I need to be famous, Wayne. All the best people are. There ain't nobody else out there like you. You know why? Why? Because you got that X Factor. Henderson, Brittany Snow, Owen Campbell, and others. It's set in 1979. Maxine Minx is a porn actress, or wants to be, and she goes on a road trip through Texas with Wayne Gilfroy, who's her boyfriend slash porn producer. Fellow uh, porn actors, Robbie Lynn Parker, Jackson Hole, his stage name Jackson Hole, H-O-L-E, and, uh, and then some directors and the R.J. Nichols and his girlfriend. They're going to shoot a porn film, basically. And at this point in 1979, porn is just coming out. It's going to be a huge market. They want to get in on the ground floor. And so they, they make this porn film. They rent a house, a farm, uh, owned by Howard and Pearl, uh, two characters, an old couple. The farm is the same uh, farm fr the, um, from uh, the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So it's set in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre universe. Basically, uh, Howard, the old man, doesn't like the group. Pearl kind of uh, is jealous of the young people because she's old. And um, uh, Maxine is invited inside the couple's home by Pearl. They have a conversation. Pearl kind of feels bad about how old she is, and it goes from there. It becomes a gory slasher, as you would expect. Uh, Mia Goth plays two roles, does a fantastic job of that, by the way. 
kind of um, setting apart the two facets of almost the same person. Like I said, it's the Sawyer Farm from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre films, but that's the only thing it has to do with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Nothing else really has to do with that. Um, the movie Pearl also this year that came out also uh, is the, the prequel to this. Okay. The good, the acting is terrific. The plot is excellent. The themes of old age versus youth, of uh, passion versus withdrawing, the connection of sex and anger and jealousy and rage, pleasure and pain, they're all developed really well and often uh, they offer like a depth rarely seen in slasher films. The gore is great as you would expect, right? There's a real complexity, an atmosphere of high tension, nervousness, had me on the edge of my seat to be honest. Uh, the characters are very believable and Mia Goth is terrific in this. The bad, I don't see much wrong with this film. The only criticism I have, I guess, is that it's loosely set in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre universe, but has little to do with that series. You might argue that some of the gore is superfluous, but when you understand the reason for the rage behind it, it kind of becomes integral to the story. Overall, X is an excellent film that all horror aficionados, in my opinion, should watch. Number four, Barbarian, directed by Zach Krager, starring Georgina Campbell, Bill Skarsgård, right, who's the, uh, he and his brother, uh, but he, Bill is in this one, Matthew Patrick Davis, Justin Long, and others. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah? This is 476 Barbary, right? Yeah, I'm renting this place. No, I booked it a month ago. Are you sure you have the right place? Yeah, what are we supposed to do? Why don't you come inside? And we'll call these idiots. Why don't you just crash here? Oh, no. I don't know if you got a great look at this neighborhood, but I don't think you should be out there by yourself. There's dry and there's a lock on the door. By the way, I'm Keith. Tess. You take the bedroom, and I'll sleep out here on the couch. So a uh, character, Tess, comes and is going into Detroit for a job interview. She books an Airbnb in Brightmoor, which is a neighborhood that has a lot of urban decay and blight, but today in Detroit is being kind of revitalized a little bit. But she finds that the place, the house has been double booked. There's another guy there, Keith. And at first she's kind of doesn't know what to make of this. Is he just tricking me? Is he going to assault me, attack me? But the two get along really well. They stay up drinking wine and talking, and she, she likes him. So Keith leaves for the day. Um, basically, uh, she goes to her job interview, she returns to the house, this homeless guy yells at her, chases her in, and I won't go much farther than that. Basically, she, she gets locked in a basement and it takes off from there. The good, fantastic plot twist and misdirection. Um, I hate plot twists that are done bad, where you trick the audience or the, you know, the old, and it was just a dream, you know, you've tricked the audience. This isn't like this. This isn't a cheap plot twist. This is a fantastic plot twist. It does it the expert way. This movie uh, flirts with the supernatural, but doesn't really completely go there. But it's enough to tantalize a supernatural lover like me. The acting is superb, top-notch. There's some big-name act actors and actresses in this film. The entire film has a feeling of dread and anxiety. Great atmosphere. Uh, and the urban blight of the neighborhood adds to the weird nature of the film. The bad. Some argue that the plot twist totally throws the movie in a different direction. And the movie's divided into two parts. The second part starts and you think, what the hell does this have to do with the first part? Like, is this two different movies? But they come together in, in, the, in the end and you see how they're related. 
and it's a great payoff in the end. Just watch it. Overall, it's a bold entry in the horror genre because of the disjointed nature of the film and the misdirection that it pulls off, but you should watch it because it does it really well. Okay, getting there, number three, House of Darkness, directed by Neil Labute, starring Justin Long again, Kate Bosworth, Gia Cravatin, and Lucy Walters. How about we tell each other stories? I'm just not very good at telling stories. Oh, come on. My love stories. All right. This guy meets this amazing girl. She has a ride. I'm happy to. They drive back to her place. This mansion woods. We have several of these hmm. estates. Does that make sense? You're rich. <laughs> and then they kiss that he's never kissed before. You could do anything you want to do me. Make me disappear. Wow. Basically, there's a guy named Hap. He meets a girl at a bar. She says, why don't you take me home? He's like, uh, okay, sure. You know? She go. Uh, she ends up living in this huge, like, castle estate, like a multi-million-dollar mansion, like a castle. And basically, he goes there. They hit it off. They start making out. Start, you know, messing around. And let's just say all is not as it seems. They may or may not be alone in the house, and it goes from there. I can't say any more, or I would absolutely spoil it. The good. The movie deals with my all-time favorite monster, but not in the way you might expect it. It deals with the important theme also of abuse of, of women by men. I like movies that are scary, but also deal with a theme that's like a, an important like societal theme, and this one does. The simplicity of this film is ingenious. It takes place in one location, a very small set of characters, and the payoff in the end is great. The atmosphere in the film is dreadful and creepy and anxiety-producing. It made me kind of nervous, you know? And when a film does that, uh, you know that it's got great atmosphere. The bad. I think the film gives away too much too soon. I wish they would have done it a little differently, but because there's even more to come, it's not a deal-breaker. But I find Justin Long's character to be very annoying, but he's supposed to be. That means it was rel- the character's well-written and well-played. Annoyed the hell out of me, but he's supposed to. Otherwise, it's almost a flawless film. Overall, go into this film without knowing anything about it. Don't even read the title, the, sub-pl- uh, the, the uh, tagline. Don't watch a trailer. Just start the movie, and trust me, you'll like it. Number two, best movie of 2022, Nocebo, N-O-C-E-B-O, directed by Lorcan Finnegan, starring Eva Green, Mark Strong, Chai Fonassier, or Fonassier, Billy Gadsden, Gadsden, Kathy Belton, and others. This is a wonderful film that takes place in the UK and in the Philippines with a mixed cast. Um, there's uh, Christine, who is an English, she's a fashion designer for children. And she gets a call during a fashion show, receives terrible news, but she says, I just can't handle this right now, and hangs up on the person. A dog shows up covered in ticks, and I won't give you more about that. 
Uh, the next day or soon, she answers the door and there's a Philippine woman named Diana there, a Filipina, uh, who claims that that Christine hired her as a caregiver but somehow forgot about it. Now, Christine at this point has kind of been ill, really sick, and has been forgetting some things. So she says, oh, yeah, I guess I did. So uh, basically, she, uh, Christine and her husband are kind of uh, they don't like her, the Filipina house or assistant being there in the house. It's like a stranger, and they're kind of racist and uh, aggressive. They do some microaggressions toward her for sure, um, and things take off from there. The Filipina caretaker is there to help Christine with her, her sickness, and starts off, she does some things that look really promising. The good, the plot sounds boring, but is not. This film is supernatural for sure. It's based on a Filipino legend and lore, so if you like fangs and folklore, you're going to like this. As a horror film, it is solid. It is excellent. It has some genuinely frightening and disturbing scenes, for sure. The acting, the writing, the cinematography are amazing. The plot is really amazing. This is a fantastic film. Underneath, underneath the horror, it deals with a very important societal theme, that of the West abusing poor countries for profit and how Westerners sometimes individually can look down upon people from poorer countries, not view them as completely human. And that's a theme that I feel strongly about having traveled and lived around the world and seen a lot of this stuff. The theme is played out expertly. The film left me thinking, it left me feeling very emotional. Like I thought about it for days. It's just fantastic. Uh, the bad, the plot's complicated. It leaves open a question or two but I think in a good way, it leaves you thinking. Some might find the film moralizing, like preaching, preachy. I don't think so. I think because it portrays things that actually happen in the real world, and it's based loosely on a factory fire that happened in the Philippines. There was a, a, a factory, I don't know if it's a shoe factory, that a Western company owned, and there was a fire, and everyone, the Philippine people, workers died. Uh, it's based loosely on that. I think it deals with this theme in the, the best way possible. Some people don't want a social message in their horror, fair enough, but I like it that way. Overall, this is one of the greatest horror films, even one of the greatest films that I've personally seen. I think you should not miss this one. Please, watch Nocebo. It's not mainstream, but it's truly excellent. It's fantastic. All right, number one. This is it, my friends. This is, in my opinion, the best horror movie of the year of 2022. It was very hard to choose for me between Nocebo, number two, and this one, but I chose this one. VHS 99. You might think, what? Because of its pure horror. It's the latest entry in the VHS found footage horror series. I find the entire series excellent, by the way. Um, it's an anthology film, as the VHS series are. Segments directed by Johannes Roberts, Vanessa and Joseph Winter, Maggie Levin, Tyler McIntyre, and Flying Lotus. Each segment features a full cast, so I can't just list all the, all the cast members in this movie. It's too long, but you can find it online. And each segment is different, but also has a little kind of a theme that is not obvious at first. I watch a horror film, like I said, every night of the year. I've seen lots of horror. I write horror. I read horror. I live horror. Because of that, it takes a lot to genuinely scare me. Okay? I enjoy horror films, but they rarely actually scare me. This one did. This one actually sucked me in, made me feel genuinely scared, so I was looking around my living room. Uh, VHS 99 accomplished that. It touched on some of my own personal specific fears and phobias, so that has a lot to do with it, I understand. The found footage style is done right. It sucks you right in the middle of the action. And boy, the first segment scared, genuinely scared the hell out of me. Others did too, but of all the segments, the first one 
was just pure terror. It's the perfect horror film for pure terror. The acting is great. The effects are great. And they're practical effects, not at the CGI. There's an overall overarching theme uh, to the film, but it's not very subtle. Uh, but it is very subtle. It's not spelled out. Uh, but it scared the hell out of me. It's pure horror. I'm not going to say it had a deep societal issue theme like Nocebo, but in terms of horror, man, it's hard to beat this one. The Bad, I think it's flawless. I think this film is flawless. Now, some people don't like segmented horror anthologies, so fair enough. Uh, I don't always like them. Sometimes they're annoying, they're disjointed, but this one does it right. Uh, some people might not find the same things I do to be scary. Again, fair enough. Everyone's different. But... um. And then some people hate found footage genre. That's because there's been so many found footage movies made that are terrible. Um, remember Blair Witch kind of set off a trend. And there's a found footage movie before Blair Witch that I, I can't remember the name of now. It's considered the first real true found footage movie. But um, some people hate the genre. And that's justified because so many terrible, boring not at all scary found footage movies have been made by amateurs and they're terrible. This VHS 99 is found footage done right. Okay, it is fantastic. This one does it expertly. Overall, just watch it. Trust me. Trust me. Forget everything else. If you're going to watch one film of 2022, watch VHS 99. You might go back after it and watch the whole VHS series. It's great, but watch this one. Let me know what you think. All right, just for fun, the worst horror film of 2022. Um, there are some horrible horror movies out there. I think people, I don't know, they think it's easy to pick up a camera or an iPhone and let's make a scary movie. Because of that, there's some amateurish crap out there. Some terrible, maybe of all the genres, horror must have the worst movies ever made. Some of the best, but they're few and far between. So the crap film of the, the, crap film of the year award for 2022, I would like to dedicate to Morbid, the film called Morbid. Directed by Taylor King, starring Christina Worth, Sean King, Haley Hammonds, and others. The premise here, a group of friends go to a sleepover party. They play this Chinese game called Morbid. We're going to play this game that Ashley brought from Japan. Apparently it's really scary. Fun. The game's called Morbid. How do we play? We each answer a series of questions, then we burn our answers and drink some hallucinogenic tea. Seriously? I'm down. Really. And the answers to their game, uh, their fears come true, supposedly, and they enter another alternate world. Okay, the good, nothing. I mean, this film is one of the worst films ever. Wow, it's comically bad. If you want to laugh, you might enjoy it for a comedy. I guess you say the good is that I didn't literally die while watching it. I guess that's a good thing, but I wish I would have. It would have been much more enjoyable than watching this horrible film, The Bad. The acting is so amateurish, and the characters are so badly written. There's uh, one example. At one point, a girl sees her best friend get slaughtered right in front of her and has no reaction whatsoever. No reaction. She just goes back to doing what she was doing. That's so ridiculous. The effects are laughable. A dude in a clown suit. I mean, uh, there's one point where a hand gets cut off. It's so obviously a rubber prop hand. They don't even try to make it look real. It's just like a piece of rubber that bounces. It's so bad. Uh, another thing that I don't like, you know, I lived in China for years and I know Chinese. The character on the name of the movie in the game uh, um, uh, is, is being, it's, it's, it doesn't mean morbid. It means sick. <laughs> it doesn't even mean morbid. And the way they, the form they use on the film demonstrates that they just looked it up in a dictionary. They just use Google Translate. They could have paid a Chinese speaker 25 bucks to give them the right character. But they didn't even go to that much trouble 
So it shows they didn't really do much research for this film. The movie is premised around that Chinese character. They didn't even get the character right. So, man, uh, I think if this was a freshman film school project, it would have received a hard F. Nothing, absolutely nothing is scary in this film. In fact, watch it if you want a good laugh. The worst. All right, there you go. My top 10 horror films of 2022 and also the worst one. I know this list is subjective by nature. Everyone likes different stuff. If you agree or disagree, please leave comments below if you're watching on YouTube. If you're listening to audio on Podbean or any other fine podcasting site, feel free to email me your opinions at matthew.miller.writer at gmail.com. Matthew with two T's dot Miller dot writer at gmail.com. I'm planning soon because it's getting close to Christmas. I'm planning to do one more episode of Fangs and Folklore before Christmas on the pagan roots of Christmas in a day or two. So stay tuned for that. Hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, sleep well if you can. <laughs>